Uh, well, church, go ahead and take a seat. Good morning, everybody. Uh, question for the room. How many of you were driving somewhere this week, uh, or maybe in the last couple of weeks, and you ran into a detour where it changed directions for where you were headed? Anybody? Yeah, a couple people. Sweet. Uh, so summertime is absolutely notorious for detours and road construction, is it not? Like whether it's the interstate or downtown Lincoln or wherever it is, we start to see all these construction projects happen and that leads us to kind of try and redirect and get to where we're actually going and figure out, okay, how am I going to get to my destination properly? Now, in South Lincoln, currently, there's not a ton of road construction actually happening, but if you guys remember, maybe a, a year or two ago, there was all the roundabouts that were going in. Right now, currently, just a little south of Lincoln, there's the whole Beltway project, and you think forward to maybe a year or something when the bid actually happens at 14th and Old Cheney, you're like, man, we need to figure out what's going on over there because it's kind of packed and congested. And we start thinking, man, when all of these detours kind of get into our life or we're driving and we didn't realize that a street's going to be blocked off, it can be quite frustrating. It can lead us to a moment to where we stop and go, okay, I've got to change where I was going, or my plan is now just slightly different, but I'm still going where I need to get to. Now, detours aren't just simple road construction projects. There's different moments in our lives where we'll just witness something or something will happen to us that'll make us redirect. It can be something as simple as being late for an event. It could be something quite difficult like losing a spouse or running into just marriage troubles, loss of a friend, a change in management, loss of a job. All these different things can happen that stop and slow us down to a point to where we have to figure out, okay, how am I going to keep moving forward? So a detour that maybe happened in my life was uh, when I first entered college, I started as a music education major. Yep, I wanted to be a high school music teacher. I know that just totally fits who I am. Um, yeah, okay, cool. Um, yep, but after about two months of classes, um, I realized I was too lazy and I wasn't talented enough to actually make it as a music major. And so that made me start thinking, okay, maybe I should redirect what's actually happening. And a little bit more in, I started to realize I was going to fail my first class ever. And it was just kind of a moment where I had to say, all right, what am I going to do? If I'm not going to be a music teacher, like what's my life going to be like? And so I started processing and thinking and it felt like a detour. Now, uh, flash forward a year to my sophomore year of college, it got to the point to where I was doing a practicum in a fifth grade uh, classroom that was teaching music, and of course, all the fifth graders were making fun of me because they couldn't pronounce my last name correctly, and it just kind of started to eat away at me. Who knew fifth graders could eat away at your ego? Um, <laughs> but they did, and it got to the point to where like, the teacher who was overseeing everything and was the actual teacher of the class didn't really help me with classroom management, and so I got so frustrated that by by the end of it, I was just like, I'm done with this teaching thing. Fifth graders ate, ate me alive. I'm done with it. Can't do it anymore. Uh, and so I dropped my education major completely. Detour. About a year later, I transferred schools, and I sat down with the academic advisor when I transferred, and uh, she's sitting across the desk from me, and we're going through kind of my plan. I'm hoping to still graduate on time, and she looks at me in the eyes, and she goes, you're not going to graduate on time. Detour. I was frustrated. All these things started happening in my life where I was just like, this is not what I had planned. There's this inconvenience right before me that is changing direction of where I thought the final destination was. 
And, and you see, many of us have detours in our life that just kind of step in or feel like great inconveniences that we're just really, really frustrated with. But as I look back on those moments and those years and those different changes and tweaks that happened in my life, those detours pointed me to people who knew Jesus Christ, who God used to redirect my life completely in such a way that it, it was a, it's now a life that I never could have imagined six years ago. God used the detours, not that I had planned, but he used something far greater. Detours don't disrupt God's mission, friends. And that's what we're going to see today. In Acts chapter 28, verses 1 to 16, big idea for us this morning is that detours don't disrupt God's mission. So if you would, please read with me again about Paul's first detour in Acts chapter 28, verses 1 to 6. It says this. Once safely ashore, we learned, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in, since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of bush, bush brushwood uh, and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat had and fastened itself on his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man no doubt is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off in the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. So our first point, first detour that we see uh, here is that Paul was bitten by a snake. Paul's bitten by a snake. So last week, Ricky took us through Acts chapter 27, crazy story of the, the, the storm with the ship and everything kind of happened. And it gets to this point where we see shipwrecked, 276 people safely make it to shore and they get to this island called Malta. Malta is a small island. It's about 18 miles long. It's 60 miles south of Sicily. And historically, we know that the Phoenicians actually uh, were the ones who colonized Malta. But uh, so Greek wasn't their first language, though I'm sure some of them did know Greek because there's interactions here with a bunch of people who speak Greek. Um, and so we also see that Rome also took over the island of Malta. But when Paul gets there, what happens? The people just see them coming on ashore, 276 people, and they just shower them with kindness. They bring them in. They start building fires together when it's raining and cold. And Paul, as a servant leader, he goes, I got to go pick up some brushwood and take some to the fire to keep us warm. And as he goes to put the brushwood in, a viper comes out, latches itself to his hand. And, and at that point, the people see this and they're just like, oh, no, this is bad news. This man has survived a shipwreck, and now clearly a snake has attached itself to him. And so they start thinking, this man deserves to die. Like, death is coming after this guy. He deserves to die. And so they conclude that he's a murderer. Lo and behold, yes, Paul is a murderer and has murdered before. But why is that their conclusion? Why did they kind of jump straight to, oh, hey, let's be really nice to him. And then they kind of go, oh, my gosh, no, he's a murderer. He needs to die. And then they start worshiping after nothing happens to Paul. It seems like they're just kind of going back and forth and back and forth over what they believe and what's in front of their eyes. Well, if we look closely to the text, if you look at the word justice there, you see that it's capitalized. 
Now, they're worshiping a God who's named justice, not just a simple noun that we uh, see and read and think of today in our day, but they were worshiping a God. Now, the way they viewed this God justice is uh, somewhat what we would view as karma. You do good, good happens to you. You do bad, bad happens to you. And so they see, man, this guy was uh, surviving a shipwreck, but the sea tried to take him alive and he somehow survives. Now a snake's coming after him. He's clearly done something wrong. The gods clearly mean for this man to be killed. And yet he survives it. So they start to worship him and they think he is a man or they think he is a god. Another thing that's quite interesting as I look at these six verses is I'm, I'm just wondering why do we not have what Paul responded to them with? Over and over again throughout the entire book of Acts, we've seen it. People start to glorify Paul or the people he's with or whatever. And what's his response? He always kind of shuts it down. He points to Jesus. And so I was just curious, man, why, why don't we have record of what he actually says to the people here? I don't know. I couldn't give you a great answer. But what I do know is Paul's track record. I, I do know I could follow along with the story. I can read Paul's letters. I can see of his character. And so I think it's safe for us to assume that Paul clearly shut them down and pointed them not to the fact that he was a God, but to a true God, Jesus. He didn't point them to someone named Justice and leading them towards believing in this false karma, but to actually point to the one true God who brings true salvation to those to the ends of the earth. So uh, even in Acts chapter 14, there's this interaction with Paul and the people in Lystra, and they start to worship him. They think he's a god. What's Paul do in that, that circumstance? He shuts them down, points them to Christ over and over again. This is Paul's track record. But zoom out with me for a quick sec. Zoom out with me on this just weird interaction here. As I look at Paul's life over the last couple of chapters, as we've been watching and reading and, and just seeing and studying together, since leaving King Agrippa, Paul knew that he was going to get to Rome. Jesus met him in the jail cell and said, you're going to get to Rome. Again, when, when they're in the middle of the storm with the ship, what's, what's Jesus do? Sends an angel. Angel appears to him, tells him that they're going to arrive to land safely. And yet now he's been shipwrecked, snake bitten. He's on an island with a bunch of people he doesn't know. It's cold. It's rainy. He, he's just like wondering there what is happening. And if I was Paul, I would be utterly exhausted. I would be tired. I would be frustrated and angry at God. And I'd be standing there kind of going, God, I thought you said we were going to Rome. I thought you said we were headed on this mission to go preach the gospel. I'm surrounded by a bunch of islanders when I should be in front of Caesar. I would have been so frustrated with that situation and that circumstance in that moment, but Paul uses this crazy detour. God uses this crazy detour for his glory. If we look at Paul, how he responds to all of this, not once does he grumble, he doesn't complain, none of that. But he continues forward to point them to who Christ is, and God continues to protect his mission as he protected him on, on the sea. He protects him from the shipwreck with the people there caring for them, and he protects him from the viper bite. We clearly see that God is not deterred by some inconvenience that might happen right before us. We continue to see that God's mission continues to go forward through the protection of what he is doing. This small detour was no inconvenience for the ministry that God had. 
And, and I think we clearly continue to see evidence that the gospel is going forward on the island of Malta, but I want to leave us with a little cliffhanger as we look to the next section here. So if you would keep reading with me uh, about this second detour that we see with Paul and the people in Malta, starting in verse 7. It says this. Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed, suffering from a fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on, on the island who had disease also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us. And when we sailed, they gave us what we needed." The second uh, detour that Paul kind of runs into here is the people who are sick. The people who are sick. The leading man of the island, Publius, he entertains them, welcomes them in. 276 people, caring for 276 people who were shipwrecked, brings them all in. They're hospitable. And Publius, we learn he has a sick father. How does Paul respond? He could just take the nice gesture and just keep moving forward, but he goes to the father, lays hands on him, prays over him, and the guy is healed. This is now the second miracle that the people on the island of Malta have witnessed. And I can't imagine what's just going on in their brains as they're watching just Jesus do this crazy work by the power of the Spirit through the Apostle Paul as he's there. He's healing the sick. He's defeating, like, he, God is saving him from a snake bite, a viper bite. And the people respond. How? They continue to come. They see, hey, man, this, this guy just healed uh, Publius's father. More people start to come. And Paul and the rest of them just continue to see Jesus bring great, amazing healing to these people. And when they go to leave, we're kind of left with the note, hey, they heaped many honors on us. They gave us what we needed when we set sail, when we left the island. Now, if I look at these whole 10 verses all together, what I find extremely interesting is there's this theme of extraordinary kindness. It starts in verse 2. We see it right away. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. What happens when uh, they need shelter? Publius, the leading man in the island, welcomes them in, uh, is hospitable to them, generous to them, feeding them, uh, continuing to just care for them. It's amazing to see that these people were incredibly kind. They're generous. They're hospitable. And I think it's a reminder for us to continue to look at this and realize, man, they were really nice. They, they cared for people really well. They were generous. But none of that ever led to their salvation. None of that ever led uh, to them being uh, actually found, spiritually found and brought to Jesus. They could be as nice as they could, but they were lost because they were trying to follow some fake God. Right? The, the text tells us itself that these people were lost. They first say, justice got him. Then they come back and they say, oh, maybe he's actually a God. Their theology goes from zero to 100 super fast over and over again because they're basing their spiritual faith on things that are just right before them, never actually on something that is actually true and stands firm. Paul uses this time in Malta to perform these miracles in the name of Jesus so that people would be saved so that people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over again. Again, in the scriptures, we see what's Paul do when he performs healings, and we see God move in those ways. He gives all the glory and all the credit to Jesus and the Spirit of Christ working through him. Does he not? 
Yes? Yeah. Uh, And so we can continue to see this theme that Paul is just praising God for what he's doing in the ministry there, that he's moving, that God is healing people. He's bringing people to himself and these detours that we might see in life, this detour where he, he's interacting with a bunch of people he never meant to interact with and go and to see, right, are right in front of him. He could have ignored it completely, but he didn't. He saw that there was something right before his eyes. He slowed down. And he gave the people just an absolutely beautiful gift by praying over them. God moves in a miraculous way. He heals not only Publius, his father, but he heals the island, the the hundreds of people maybe that were sick with Malta fever. And uh, we just get this great encouragement that God is moving on a place where Paul never maybe thought he would actually be. So I think this is an encouragement and application for us to see in the text that as we read through this, man, it's important for us to continue to be kind, generous, hospitable, right? Those are things that we know we should continue to move forward as believers. But I think it's also a reminder for us to know that our kindness never actually leads to someone's salvation. As kind as we could be to people, it will never reveal to them the true God who is the judge and the, the God of the universe. It never introduces them to Jesus unless we actually point them to Jesus with our words. Friends, these people were kind as could be, hospitable, generous, over and over again with Paul and the rest of the people there. But their kindness, they were still lost. They were still far from God. In their hospitality, it never led them to being healed, physically healed. But we see that there is a God who does oversee all things, who is the creator of the world, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who has power not only to judge the world, but power also to continue to heal the world physically, emotionally, but most importantly, with our souls, to give us everlasting life, to point us to Jesus Christ, who actually redeems us from where we were so far and lost from him. And yet God moves in miraculous ways. So while Paul is actually a murderer, rightfully called and charged by these people, God's grace is put on display because he not only saved Paul from a shipwreck, he not only saved Paul from a snake bite, he not only saved Paul just through the countless trials that he walked through in his life, but he saved Paul to bring him to himself and to give him eternal salvation and everlasting life with himself. This detour could have been seen as a huge inconvenience. This whole time that he spent on the island of Malta could have been just a moment where he grumbled and complained and waited to get to Rome, trying to just get there as fast as possible. But God still moved. God used the detour to continue forward on his mission. Here's how I know this. In 1998, I know it's a couple years ago, so the stat's probably a little different at this point, but in 1998, there was a census that went out. 100% of the people on the island would have called themselves Christians. Now, whether that stat is true or wrong, um, the reality is that shows us that the gospel went forward on that island. That shows us that Jesus actually moved and saved souls and brought people to himself there. That detour didn't disrupt God from accomplishing his mission because no one is on a detour in God's plan. Friends, how does this all play out personally? How does this all play out to us today here now? I'll share with you how uh, maybe I consider small things detours and inconveniences at different times. But if you know the Enneagram, it's a personality test. just kind of talks about maybe different tendencies that you might have. I'm in Enneagram 3. 
So kind of things that I've learned about myself over the last couple of years is that I'm a very task-oriented person. I have to-do lists. I like crossing things off the box and getting to the next project and seeing things kind of get done. And so when I'm kind of in to-do list mode and I'm maybe doing the dishes or folding laundry or reading an article or something, and my wife comes over to me to like give me a hug, I kind of just try to like hug her really quick so I can keep going. Um, and in those moments, I I just like, I almost feel like this unflexibility in my soul and in my heart. And if I just continued forward doing that, I may miss really beautiful moments where my wife may have had a really hard day at work and I just need to slow down to care for her and give her a loving, compassionate hug and hear about what God was doing. And so what I've learned as I've been sitting in this passage all week, that this is so real to my life this week. That where I may feel that detours are happening over and over again, or things where it's just as small as going from two lane to one lane to really life-changing, directing conversations that just kind of impact your life, God still moves in the detours. And he continues to move in our own hearts and lives. Over and over again, we see Jesus continue to shape us and change us and mold us into his image time and time again, even though we may think sometimes in in moments that are right before us might be inconveniences to us. And there's plenty of different times that this happens to all of us, is there not? But God continues to move. We might think whatever is there is hindering us. We might think whatever roadblock or road construction we kind of run into is a moment that's just annoying and we want to pass through. We might hate the moments where we're at work and someone tries to talk to us and we're trying to get something done, but God might use those moments for us to actually sit down and continue to build relationships with people that we have continually around us over and over and over again. As we continue to look at the rest of the story, we see God does actually follow through on his faithful promise to get Paul to Rome. Verses 11 to 16, it tells us the whole story, right? They leave Malta. They get onto this ship that's been there over the winter. There's these weird Greek gods that are kind of carved into the ship. And it's just how they really felt like, hey, these gods are going to protect us from the sea and the storms. And we're going to get there safely. But we know those are false gods. While the true God is actually the one who is being faithful on his promise to get Paul to Rome. And so they get there to uh, Putoli. I like to say it with like an Italian accent because it's south of Italy. And so Putoli. Uh, that's kind of how I was practicing it in my mind. Um, yeah, maybe I could be Italian in another life or something. But anyway, uh, they get there and they have to go from by sea to start walking by land. And when they arrive, Christians show up. They come to greet them. Brothers and sisters in the faith come to say, hey, We've heard you were coming. We're so glad you're here. And they're not just there in the town where they arrive at, but they come from different places. I love uh, the, the one place, the Three Taverns. Maybe when we send out a church plant, we could call it City Light Three Taverns. Um, I, I think that's pretty cool. You guys don't like that? I like it. Uh, but uh, Paul's just relieved to see the brothers and sisters. He's so grateful to just be like, Lord, you followed through on your promise. After years and years of continuing forward on mission, 
God actually gets him to the point to where he's in Rome, continuing to go forward. If, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does Jesus tell them to do? He tells them to go to the ends of the earth. That's our command today, to continue to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We see Paul went from Jerusalem all the way now to Rome. He is living out this gospel mission to continue to get the gospel to the ends of the nation. Friends, time and time again, as we read through the book of Acts, and we're almost to the done, time and time again, we have seen that God's mission was not deterred by some inconvenience or some detour that might have been in the way. And as I think of Paul's mission, as I think of his time that we've spent in the scriptures with him, I think, man, this guy, he had it rough. This man had to go and rebuke false prophets. He had to uh, sit there and be persecuted by his own Jewish brothers and leaders. He was in prison multiple times, beaten up, ran out of town. He had to face riots, cast out demons, experience sea and experience death, shipwrecked, snakebitten, all till he got here. Think of all the moments where if that was you, and I know if it was me, I would have said, is this what I signed up for? Is this what it was supposed to be, God? I thought we were going to go and proclaim the gospel and we were just going to see joy and happiness and see like these crazy stories of redemption. I didn't know I was going to be beaten up and put in jail. Man, isn't this what was supposed to happen? And as I look back, as I looked back at Paul's story over this last week and a half, I, I sat there thinking, not once did this man complain or grumble. Not once do we have it recorded that he stopped and said, oh, what are you doing, God? But he was faithful to see that Jesus was still moving along the way time and time again. God was continuing to provide for him, to protect him, to continue to fulfill his promises, to get him to Rome time and time again. We saw him preach the gospel. People came to faith. Some people didn't. Some people rejected him. Some people continued to follow him. Some people were absolutely amazed at what God was doing. And some people were really frustrated and angry at what God was doing. But great joy and relief when he finally gets to Rome because he sees his brothers and sisters. He sees the promise of God finally faithfully coming true. He could have stopped and just said, man, all these detours are so annoying. I'm just going to keep going forward. I'm going to make sure I get to Rome regardless of what kind of stops me. I'm not going to interact with people because that's going to slow me down. That's going to hinder me from the mission that God told me I'm on. But no, he stopped. He spent time with the people who were right before him, specifically here with the people in Malta, as he shared the gospel with them, as he sat down with them. Friends, all of us have different moments in lives that may feel like inconveniences and detours, do we not? We all have moments that kind of slow us down and, and stop us, and we have to think, okay, I have to redirect myself. And I think the big elephant in the room for us this morning, right, is the COVID pandemic and the mask mandate being back in Lincoln. And if I'm really honest with you guys, if I'm really honest with you guys, Tuesday afternoon came and I was really frustrated. I, I was frustrated. Let's be real. Nobody likes this. Nobody wants to be in a global pandemic. No, nobody wants that. But I sat there on Tuesday and I'm talking to David, who's our uh, worship and middle school resident. And... I was just kind of venting to him, expressing some frustration that I had over everything. 
and in the week I was having, and I just said, man, it feels like every time we're starting to see some sweet momentum, we hit kind of this weird bump in the road. And I just started thinking back to January 2020. I'm excited. God's continuing to build his church. We're about to launch South as its own autonomous church in two months. We see this like momentum start to happen and we're being pretty joyful. March 1st hits. We launch as our own church plant. We celebrate. We worship together. We eat together. We sing to the great king. And two weeks later, what happened? Pandemic. We closed the doors for 10 weeks. We were in a, a whole city shut down. I just felt like a bump in the road. And I was frustrated. June kind of hits, and we're able to start gathering again, and we're trying to figure out spacing issues and trying to navigate, hey, how does this all work? How does this happen? How do we continue to walk in the midst of all of this? And July kind of catches us, and bam, cases rise. Mass mandate kind of comes into the place for the first time, and it felt like another bump in the road. We're rolling this summer, and we're seeing God do some really sweet things over and over again. Two weeks ago, we got to witness 12 people from our church family be baptized. We're celebrating with Jesus and what he's done and how he's continuing to move. It feels like we've got this great momentum that's happening. Last week, we saw Jesus continue to bring his family together, worship. We had to bring in extra chairs. It was confusing. I had no idea what I was doing. And Tuesday hit. Felt like another bump in the road. And I just thought, is this the story of our church family? And I was so frustrated. And I was angry. And I had no idea what to do or think in that moment except express it to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I feel like you're just slowing things down. Like, why are you doing this? God, how much? I started literally complaining to God. And I'm telling him, Lord, wouldn't we just be so much further? As a, as a church, if none of that kind of happened, and the Spirit kind of smacks me in the face and says, no, Alex, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Because the reality is, church, if none of those hard conversations had to happen, if none of this weird navigation on, on how to actually have real conversations with people face-to-face and dialogue about what we're dealing with and how to navigate all these things, I don't think we would have the unity that we have today. I don't think we would be as close to Jesus today if we didn't have to walk through all of that because I realized my own selfishness. I realized my own pride. I realized my own greed, my own selfish tendencies to just think about me and what I want. And rather, I missed out on what Christ was really doing in my own heart. And so as I look back on the last year and a half, I think, man, even though I saw it maybe as an inconvenience, The reality is God moved in a beautiful way. And God has changed lives. And Jesus has brought people to himself. And we continue to see and worship together as a church family of what he's doing in all of it. And so while we may see it as a momentum change, I think it's important for us to look back and remember what Christ did on the cross. Because if I think of the disciples as they're walking with Jesus for three years, their closest friend, the Messiah had finally come. They see it. They know it. They believe it in the bottom of their hearts. And he gets arrested. He gets beaten. He gets taken to the cross. He's killed. Wouldn't that seem like a big inconvenience? 
Wouldn't that seem like an absolute detour to what was supposed to happen? And yet we remember the good news that on Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. And we get to praise God for what we might have seen as a great inconvenience, a great detour, was actually the greatest gift that any of us could ever receive, that Jesus defeated sin and death, and that what we might have thought was an inconvenience was absolute glory for himself. That we could have lives changed forever because of what he had done. And that's the story that we celebrate today. That is the reality that we sing to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who defeated all sin and death, and that we could have everlasting life with him. So church, if you feel like you're in an inconvenient detour right now, I want you to know that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe is for you. He is with you. He's not giving up on this, and he doesn't feel like this is an absolute detour to you, but he excels, he destroys, he cleans up, and he brings life to all whether it's a moment that slows us down or a moment where we get to celebrate and rejoice with what he's doing. In a moment where we don't know what he's doing, where we don't understand, where we're frustrated with what might be going on, we need to remember that the King of Kings is still at work and a detour does not deter him from his mission at all, in the slightest bit. Because we're reminded that while we were far off from God, while we were on a detour, headed completely astray away from him, he came to us and saved us, redeemed us, rescued us, brought us into his beautiful open arms as a free gift we could have everlasting life with the King of Kings. While we were so far from him, he still came. While we don't know what he's doing, he's still there. While we may not see it, and we may be frustrated with it, and it might slow us down, Friends, he's still at work. And it's not a distraction for him. It is an absolute mission that he's continuing to move and change us in our lives and to see him for how good and amazing he is. So dear brother, sister, friend, church, I want you to know that whatever detour you might think that you're on, Jesus is not avoiding you. But he is pursuing you relentlessly. And he's showing you who he is. And he might be slowing you down just to see him a little clearer to shape you to look a little bit more like his son. Jesus is there in the long suffering, in the trials and tribulations. He's there in the shipwreck, in the snake bites, in the hard moments. He's there in the beautiful moments where we get to praise him and sing to him. He's there in the moments where we feel like things are an inconvenience and he moves and he's put people right before us so that we get to have a conversation with and share some good news. Where we might think, let's just go right through it. Let's run right through the door. We might miss out on something that Christ might be doing. Paul didn't see his time in Malta as an inconvenience. As we might think that this might be slowing us down, or this might feel like an inconvenience, whatever it is in your life, whatever it is that's right before you that feels like it may have knocked you down for a little bit, I want to remind you that Jesus continues to work in what we see as detours and inconveniences, that Jesus continues to change lives over and over and over again. So dear friend, if you are in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you felt like you had to earn your salvation, if you felt like you continue to fall away and he's angry at you or that he would never welcome you home, I want you to know that he took the world's greatest detour for you that he went to take the cross for you so that you would come to know and see and love him 
and be in an intimate, beautiful relationship, would you give your life to that king? Would you give your life to that God who comes down for his people, who takes death for his people, who defeats sin and death for his people? When I changed my major the very first time, I had no idea what I was going to do next. When I transferred schools, I felt like I'd wasted two years of my life. And I had no idea what was next. But Jesus did. Because he directed me to people who then pointed me to him. And I realize now that as I look back on my life and as I look back at the last year and a half and the last week even, I am confident that while I feel like some things are inconvenient, while I feel like that God might not be at work or that he's doing it wrong, I'm reminded that he knows exactly what he's doing and that what I think is a detour is not to him. And he continues to press on forward. God's mission is not disrupted by what we see as inconvenience, but he continues to fulfill his promises in pursuit of his people without hindrance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get to see you so clearly in different moments. We thank you that as we sing to you, you continue to move in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you that even in moments where we have no idea what it is that you're doing, or we feel like you're not there doing anything, or we feel like you're far from us, or we feel like our plan is better than your plan, Jesus, we know that ultimately you are the good king. God, I pray that we as a people would continue to see you, and that we would slow down in the moments where we might feel like there's something hindering us or something in our way or something that's inconvenient, but Jesus, would you slow us down to see what's right before us, what's right in front of us, and would you move in those moments? Would you shape us? Would we be clear to listen to your spirit move in our hearts, to direct us, to maybe have a conversation, to care for people, to bring them in, uh, to not be caught up in just trying to get through something, but that we would sit with you, Jesus, and that you would speak to us in those moments. God, I pray that we would see you more clearly and that we would fall in deeper love with you. It's in your name. Amen.